Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. into the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Thursday, November 5th is the day, week nine, as of this recording, which is happening at 10.15 a.m. Eastern time that we start, still scheduled to start tonight between the 49ers and the Green Bay Packers, even with all the COVID issues, especially for the 49ers in that game. But hey, NFL plugging right along with this game for Thursday night. So week nine looking like it will be underway in about, uh, you know, what, uh, eight hours or so here. I am Michael Beller sitting in for the slacking slash vacationing Nando DeFino, joined by our usual Thursday crew, Eric Moody and Jake Seeley. Guys, I'm just happy that I get to spend some time with you in front of the mic rather than behind it. I had to listen to Nando all these weeks, so happy to join you here on the show. How are we feeling at the start of week nine? I'm not happy. Feeling pretty good? For that part, that's fine. That wasn't against you, Mike. I'm not happy that that stupid (laughs) NFL... Like, the NFL has precedent that they already pushed this back, and they, oh, they want to power forward. You can still power forward and still put it on Sunday or Monday. It's crazy. Yeah, I would just say overall, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. But, uh, you know, to, to Jake's point, it has been uh, a, a lot of uh, injury and COVID-related news. Been uh, very busy over the last two days, making sure the depth chart is uh, updated on theathletic.com. <laughs> yeah, be sure to check that out. And uh, you're going to have to be a subscriber to do that. One dollar a week gets you in the door. Access to everything we do, theathletic.com slash fantasy football pod. Stay on top of those NFL depth charts. It'll help you stay on top of your fantasy team depth charts. And it's going to be a busy couple of days here, I think, for you, Eric. So many injuries uh, that we are still tracking going into week nine weekend. And uh, that, you know, got nothing to do with this Packers 49ers game that I agree with you, Jake. Uh, The precedent set, I can't believe they won't push this back to Sunday, push it back to Monday night. Whoever the broadcast partner is today, I assume it's Fox with it being two NFC teams could still get their, you know, primetime audience. If they push this back to Monday, it's a West Coast game. So it could be the second game of a doubleheader on Monday. I do it Tuesday. I mean, it's... It's so you're, easy. You're dicking around with playoffs too. There's just yeah. a five and three and a four and four team, and you know it's not like okay, even if it was the Jets, and it's a free win for the other side when you have this many players gone for the 49ers. It just it feels disingenuous by the NFL to do things they've done before, and then to just force this game to be played on Thursday night. Really just messing with the competitive integrity of this one. And you hate to see something like this happen when it appears, at least to us, maybe, you know, we don't know what's going on inside uh, the NFL offices and their uh, deals with their network partners. But on paper, it seems like there is a very easy, reasonable fix for this game rather than forcing it to go forward uh, on Thursday night. But that appears to be what it is going to be. So we'll be keeping an eye on that, of course. And we'll be keeping an eye on everything else going on around the NFL. So putting this show together today, trying to think about what we've already talked about on our previous three shows of the week and what we're going to talk about on Friday's show and finding a way to fit this in. I wanted to take a sort of week nine plus look at the fantasy football landscape. So we're going to do some rest of season ranking, some rest of season challenges, players at the same position who you think's 
going to be better, and obviously that's going to tie into Week 9 and also push us forward through the remainder of the fantasy football regular season, which typically takes us through Week 13, and then all the way through the playoffs through Week 16, unless you're Brandon Funston and his weird friends and you play a Week 17 championship league. So, let's get started here. Going to have a a bunch of of rest-of-season rankings, and uh, I want to start with one of those. Three guys who fit together in that they are all rookie running backs who have all had uh, peaks and valleys during their rookie season so far this season. We are talking rest-of-season ranking. Which one of these three backs would you want to have most for the rest of the season? DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, Moody, why don't you take this one first? Yeah, I'd actually uh, go with uh, DeAndre Swift here. And then if someone's wondering who I would have behind, you know, I would go with J, uh, J.K. Dobbins and then Jonathan Taylor. The thing with Swift, I'm like, he's averaged nearly 16 PPR fantasy points per game over the last four. I'm like, he's averaged 61.5 total yards per game. It has been very efficient, you know, with the opportunities provided to him. I just really like the Lions' rest of the season schedule. You know, it includes matchups against the Vikings this week, Panthers and Texas and uh, Texans in week 11 and 12. Then the Packers and Titans in week 14 and 15, things are coming together for him really nicely. And he's one guy that I do like a lot, you know, for the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm I'm actually going to not go with Swift, and despite the fact that I love Swift and Dobbins, but I'm going to go with Dobbins because of the team that he's on. And I don't expect Mark Ingram to be much involved even when he is healthy, but maybe I'm wrong. The thing that I know is Patricia's still the coach for the Lions, and I don't trust Patricia week to week. Uh, it could be 20 carries for Adrian Peterson this week if no Matthew Stafford because that's Patricia. At least while Ingram is out, I know it's 50-50 split, and Dobbins is supremely more talented than Gus Edwards and more involved in the passing game. I do think they're going to split every single week, but I will take J.K. Dobbins on 15 touches versus DeAndre Swift, potentially getting 5, 15, 5, 15. Like that's, that's really what it comes down to. If, if I knew he was going to get 15 every single week, sure, but that's my biggest issue. So it's not that I disagree with talent or wanting Swift. It's just I don't trust his situation. And Taylor would be last as well. You said that's exactly where I was going to go. So you guys are in agreement there that Taylor is the third of the three. And who would have thought that? Of the situation. Yeah, exactly. Or who would have thought that at the start of the season? Who especially would have thought that after week one when Marlon Mack went down with his season-ending injury? But for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like Frank Reich wants to uh, commit to Jonathan Taylor in a serious way or in a significant enough way that makes him the fantasy player we thought he was going to be in his rookie season. Jordan Wilkins getting involved. Now he's dealing with this ankle issue this week, whether he plays or not. Uh, something that seems like it's going to be hanging over him, at least for week nine. And we know Naeem Hines has a big role in that passing game. So Swift and Dobbins feeling like our top two guys here and uh, with good reason, as you guys pointed out. So uh, I think we can move on to our next one. We're going to go over to the tight end position. This one, I'm going to get four guys into the mix here. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, Dallas Goddard, Rob Gronkowski, and Noah Fant. I I think that all four of these guys are in the group of tight ends where while they're not Kelsey or Waller, you feel pretty good about rolling them out there. I think you feel pretty comfortable with one of these four as your starting tight end group. They're not the elite group, but they're also not the pray for a tight end class uh, or play pray for a touchdown tight end class. They're in <laughs> pray between. For. Pray for a t- is one of these guys tight end? Yeah, no, pray for a touchdown tight end class. I think they fall in between that. So you feel good, I think, about starting any of these four. But for the rest of the season, who do you think's best? And yeah, you know what? Why don't you just give me a full ranking? Jake, take this one first. <laughs> None. It's it's really kind of feels like a rotating carousel. So you, the same so you disagree end. with me that you don't, that you feel good about these guys? No, I, I feel fine about them, but they just all feel in the streaming situation. Like Gronkowski, if Antonio Brown wasn't coming back, 
I would actually easily take him number one just because he looks finally back to Gronk. And, you know, not 100% of what we used to know, but uh, I talked to Brian McFadden and he said he would expect the same for Antonio Brown unless Antonio Brown surprises us. And the fact that it took Gronk a few games to get into the It's like Melvin Gordon last year. It wasn't Melvin Gordon when he first stepped on the field. We waited a few games for him to get back to his game shape self. It's something I go back to. This, another name drop here, but I asked Mike Tomlin, and like <laughs> he has a Hampton oh. Roads Youth Foundation. Yeah, I know he Jeez. has a Hampton Roads Youth Foundation Got here. Got Antoine Randall coming up or something? No, no, no. But this was back with the Le'Veon Bell situation was going on, and I asked him about that. I said, "What are your worries? You know, if somebody's trying to sit out the entire preseason and blah blah blah." And he goes, when it comes to players, I never question their health, their shape, their, you know, athleticism. He goes, what, there's a big difference, and I know Eric's going to know this because Eric's played the game, is there's a big difference between being in shape and being game day shape. It's a huge difference when you're getting hit. It's a huge difference when you're out there on the field. So you can be as healthy as you want. You can be as in shape as you want, but there's still a big difference that I want you playing in at the time is what he was saying. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but I want you playing in preseason games. I want you out there practicing with the team because there's a big difference. So I bring all that up to say the little bit of concerns I have for Antonio Brown playing is also what we've seen with Gronkowski. So I would still lean Gronk. I like Goddard second. I still am concerned that Ertz is going to come back. And then I would go Hawkinson over Fant. But if you told me week to week, one of the four is always going to be the different number one guy each week, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Yeah, Moody, who you got in this grouping here? Yeah, I've got a uh, Hutchinson uh, up first, then Goddard, Gronk, and then Fant. Uh, the thing with Hutchinson that's intriguing, you know, you've got Galladay that's out. Uh, really opens the door for, you know, obviously Marvin Jones, but, uh, you know, Hop to get, you know, more targets, more air yards. Uh, I'm like, this is a guy that's averaged seven targets per game, like over the Lions' last three. And he's seen a steady increase in air yards in each game. But when you combine all those different factors and also the Lions like rest of season schedule, I think he's positioned really well for success. Uh, I like Gronkowski, especially with what he's done lately. But to Jake's point, I'm like, you got Antonio Brown that's coming back. And the reality is you've got a lot of mouths to feed in that offense. Same thing when you look at Goddard, similar situation with Fant. I just don't really trust Drew Locke to be consistent from week to week. It's a lot of internal things that seem to be going on with Pat Shermer, Locke, and the Broncos organization. So I don't have a lot of confidence there. So that's what kind of leads me to that ranking, uh, Beller. Quick follow-up for you, Jake. Um, you, you ranked TJ Hawkinson way back in the summer as your breakout tight end this season. And so no Kenny Galladay, at least for this week and maybe for a couple of weeks. We saw what the case was for him last week without Galladay. 10 targets, 65 yards in that game, as Eric said, averaging seven targets per game over the last three. Why are you so low on him compared with the others? And it's not so much so low on him. It's just the fact that his role didn't increase or decrease with or without Kenny Galladay, whatever it might be with Matthew Stafford or whatever it is. It's just he kind of stays in that same target percentage. So there really hasn't been an opportunity target-wise for him to step forward. He's still the same TJ Hawkinson. He's just not getting more volume like I had and many people had hoped. So that's what it comes down to. And it's specifically for this week, too. It might not be Stafford back there. So if we're going right. to Chase Daniel or whoever it might be, uh, but the biggest re- to go back to it, the biggest reason is just it doesn't matter if Galladay's playing or not. Hawkinson's just not seeing an increase. He's just kind of staying in the same old Hawkinson role. And maybe that's part of the fact of if you switch draft picks and put Fant on this team instead of Hawkinson, there was a shock by some people that Fant went after Hawkinson. But the reason why is because Hawkinson's the better blocker. He's not terrific, but he's a better blocker. So maybe it's just the fact that Hawkinson's on the field all the time, but they're not going to ask him to run routes all the time. 
All right, next one up on our list. We expect to be getting Christian McCaffrey back this week. Not a guarantee as of this recording, but definitely pointing in that direction. Uh, For the rest of the season, let's say you are drafting today from scratch, rest of season. Jake, are are you taking Christian McCaffrey first overall? If you are not taking him first overall, who are you taking before him? No, I'm not taking him first overall, mainly because Alvin Kamara, if you only used his passing numbers, he'd be wide receiver 13 on the year. So that's one. <laughs> Two, if you actually take the per game numbers instead of you know just that as a whole, but per game, Dalvin Cook's averaging more than Alvin Kamara, and it's almost exactly the pace number that we had from Christian McCaffrey last year. So I say that not that Christian McCaffrey can't be better than both of them, but they're both there. They're both performing at that level. And there's the question of, does Christian McCaffrey get 70% as his first game back? Does Christian McCaffrey look like Saquon Barkley did last year when he came back? And he's got a few first two or three games where he's not quite himself. So just that risk associated, why would I go away from Cook and Kamara when I know how great they are? They're essentially Christian McCaffrey without the injury concerns. So he would be third for me. So third for you, so that means ahead of Derrick Henry. Uh, yeah, he still would be. Uh, if I could, if I could only get De- December Derrick Henry, then maybe I would take Derrick Henry. But yeah, he'd still be in front of Derrick Henry. <laughs> All right, Moody. So Jake's got uh, Kamara Cook, then CMC, and then Derrick Henry as the top four. Where are you at? Are you taking Christian McCaffrey first overall or one of these other guys? Yeah, I agree with Jake. You know, I'm not taking McCaffrey number one overall. I would go with Kamara. Uh, Jake, you know, brought up a number of reasons which are, are really aligned, you know, with my line of thinking too. Uh, you look at Kamara, I'm like, he's finishes an RB1 in all seven games this season, you know, average 28 PPR fantasy points per game. Uh, the guy's really good at evading tackles too. I'm like, he's evaded 46 so far this season, which ranks third among running backs according to player profile. Uh, profiler, can't speak this morning, obviously. I'm like, he's also very explosive too. Like, you're looking at a guy that's had six rushing attempts this season of 15 yards or more. Plus, he's running behind the Saints offensive line, which you've always had, you know, really good offensive lines to complement other running games. So, uh, as far as, like, after, you know, after uh, Kamara, uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit more high. I would say higher on uh, Derrick Henry uh, than most. You know, he's another guy that would rank uh, in the top four. Was trying to think of some other names uh, that escaped me. Throw some so names would, out would there. He be, would Henry out. be two for you over Dalvin Cook? Now I would go with Cook two and then Henry three. And then is that That's where how you think McCaffrey it. checks in? Yeah, I would end up having McCaffrey at four. My biggest concern with McCaffrey, I know he's a stud when it comes to his receiving prowess, but I'm like he's not, you know, quite the runner like in between the tackles as, as many people may think. You know, when you look at like his yards created and, and other metrics, it's always been something that's uh, been a concern for me. I just always like a guy that's uh, just really, really explosive, you know, that can, you know, that can uh, evade tackles like Kamara, but also just break off that big run. I just don't think that McCaffrey is that guy. And that's what a lot of the metrics tell me. And when I watch on film, not, not, not taking anything away from him. He's a really right. good running back, but just not a guy that, you know, I'm going jumping above the moon to land. Hopefully we get to see him back in action this Sunday against the Chiefs, and it'll be interesting to see in this first game what exactly Matt Rule and Joe Brady do with Mike Davis, assuming that Christian McCaffrey is back in the fold, something to keep your eye on in this first game or whatever McCaffrey's first game back might be. All right, next up, another running back rest of season ranking. These are three guys who are in timeshares, who are in sort of a potentially fickle Timeshares where we have seen coaches make uh, quick trigger decisions and totally change things 
on the fly. We know that those timeshares aren't going away for any of these backs this season, but I would say at the time being, all three of them look like the better back and are in the better situation in their backfields. The three guys, Philip Lindsay, Leonard Fournette, Justin Jackson, Moody, who you got out of this trio? Yeah, the guy that I really want out of this trio is uh, Leonard Fournette. Uh, like in week eight, you know, gets the Giants. And like Fournette had 21 opportunities. And uh, back in week seven, you know, gets the Raiders. He had 18. What I like is that he's being used more as a receiver out of the backfield. And that's really encouraging, especially in a uh, Tom Brady-led uh, offense. I'm like, the guy's accumulated 13 targets over the last two games. But I think what's really intriguing, because things are really coming together nicely for the Buccaneers. You know, Tom Brady's quality of play, you know, rapport with Mike Evans, you know, Chris Godwin, whenever he comes back, and then you got Antonio Brown into the mix. You just got to fast forward to, you know, fantasy playoff time, week 14, 15, and 16, where they'll really be operating on all cylinders for that playoff push. Um, and so with the Bucs, I'm like, Fournette's being positioned to be a league winner. I'm like, Tampa Bay plays the Vikings, Falcons, and Lions over that time frame. So Fournette's the guy for me. <laughs> and the playoffs, another disagreement here, the playoffs are exactly why I don't want Leonard Fournette is because I'm not trusting my playoff life to Bruce Arians. That's all it comes down to for me. You tell me that Leonard Fournette, fumbles in the first quarter and we're not going to see the Ronald Jones. We just played this back and I'm not coming for you. Obviously, you know, I could be wrong on this, but we just played this game in week two or three or whatever. So, oh yeah, Leonard Fournette, this is, you know, Ronald Jones fumbled away his opportunity and then Leonard Fournette gets yanked and then Leonard Fournette also gets banged up a little bit and then can't even get back on the field for three weeks. And then I'm, I'm just not, I'm not doing it. Uh, I think, you know, my answer. Mike, I do uh, know your answer. I've talked Phil to you quite Lindsay. a bit about football. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Lindsay, man. Phil Lindsay is the better option in the preseason, I said. He's been in the better option every time he's been on the field. The only concern with Phil Lindsay, and I understand if people want to disagree and go with Eric, with Leonard Fournette, because of what I'm about to say is the only concern is the injury. It's, it's, it's starting to build up. This is now the second or third time. He's kind of been banged up. Sounds like he should be okay, but... We're kind of dealing with this. He's kind of turning into, funny enough, who he's going to be facing this week is like a Julio Jones. It's like any given week, the dude's banged up. It doesn't have a very scary schedule. He's got Carolina, Buffalo, and Los Angeles. And the fact is, is Buffalo this year is terrible on defense, especially against elusive running backs. So I think that the schedule is not too much worse than Fournette. And if healthy, I trust him a thousand times more than I trust anybody Aaron's has in the backfield. <laughs> We definitely want to see Philip Lindsay get a little bit more involved in the passing game. Seven targets. They for just Melvin refused Gordon. to do it. I don't get it. I don't get it. Especially when what we saw from Melvin Gordon was what we saw from Melvin Gordon a week ago. Seven targets. He turns it into twenty-one yards on six catches, three yards per target, three and a third yard per catch. I mean, at that point, you just got to be like, oh, even if you hadn't seen Philip Lindsay as a capable receiver for the last two years before this, you would want to say to yourself, let's see what this other guy can do. But we know that Philip Lindsay. <laughs> can be a capable receiver. So would love to see that be in the cards for him. And I'm with Jake knows this uh, Moody. I am a Justin Jackson stand here on the athletic fantasy football podcast, but I agree with you guys, even though you have different one, two, I think they are the one, two here. And then Justin Jackson, while I do like him and will be starting him pretty confidently this week is in third out of these I three guys. I could get yeah. a little bit more involved with, or I guess on board with Justin Jackson. If I knew Austin Eckler was never coming back. Like sure, I think that makes sense. that's I think isn't that what's just in the back of our minds? It's like is Austin mm -hmm. Eckler back in week twelve, and all of a sudden you don't have a running back for the playoffs? Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. I think that's yeah, absolutely yeah. Is a, a fair consideration. I think that's something that pops up. The one thing going back to to Lindsay with uh, you know with Jake's comments, like I, I'm very high on uh, Philip Lindsay. I mean, he's, he's a guy I mentioned in the under the radar column at the Athletic. 
I would say my, my concern is that, you know, with Melvin Gordon, you know, with the money that they're paying him to acquire him, he's still going to be a, a part of the backfield. I think whether we like it or not, you know, for fantasy, because the way that they look at it, hey, we made an investment in this guy. We got dollars and cents behind the line, uh, on the line. And so we're, we're going to give him opportunities. And, and they might Lindsay's have dollars, but they don't have cents. See what it did. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. But yeah, that, that, that's that's my biggest issue. But no, I love Philip Lindsay. I just I'd like to see the guy get more work because he's he's clearly outperforming uh, Melvin Gordon right now on all fronts. Uh, all right, guys, let's move it over to our first wide receiver ranking of the uh, show here. These three guys who I've got um, maybe seem, you know, like they have something in common. Obviously, they are all number one receivers on their teams. I guess they're all uh, Midwestern-based guys as well, playing in the respective NFC and AFC North divisions. But the reason why I really pulled them out by half PPR scoring, they are the number nine, 10, and 11 ranked receivers so far this season. Nine, 10, and 11 in the order that I am going to read them. Jake, you got to take two in a row first, so I'm going to give Moody a second in a row as our first person up here. Tyler Boyd, Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen, who you got for the rest of the season? Well, I know you mentioned that you're a uh, Justin Jackson stan, so I'll, I'll be very transparent. I'm an Allen Robinson stan, so I've, I've been really high on this guy. Uh, really all off season and into the season. I'm like, he's always dealt with inadequate quarterback play. It's really frustrating just in his entire career, you know, but he continues to thrive just given his uh, unfortunate circumstances. I'm like, you look at this season. I'm like, he's averaged nearly 10 targets, 79 receiving yards and 102 air yards per game this season. I'm like Rob- Robinson. I'm like, he's been relatively effective uh, with the target volume. You know, when you look at different efficiency metrics or whatnot, I think the impressive thing when you look at Robinson's production is you look at Nick Foles as a whole. I'm like, the guy ranks 29th in true passer rating. That's basically a, a rating that factors out unpressured throwaways and drop passes. But when you look at what he's been able to do so far this season and then the rest of season schedule, um, I'm like, he's just going to continue trucking along. Then he has the Texans, Vikings, and Jaguars from weeks 14 through 16. So, again, he's being positioned to help win leagues this year. Yeah, so I was going to say, if you want to talk about being stands, uh, Adam Thielen for life over here. But yep. uh, Adam Thielen's schedule is arguably, actually it is. Now, these three, it's the worst. Uh, you got Tampa Bay, Chicago, New Orleans. And not that New Orleans has been that great this year, but if you look at it, maybe Marshall Lattimore is actually playing to his level at that point. And sorry, uh, Jake, you're my- talking playoff schedule there? Yes, yes, playoff schedule for Adam Thielen. So, you know, the Bucks and the Bears, let alone, those. I mean, those 14 to 15, that's – pretty scary for most wide receiver situations and especially with the fact that like Kirk Cousins can go belly up himself any any given game as we've seen so I am actually going to agree with Moody on this one because he brought up the schedule those three games I mean you talk about the Bears is one of the best that you can get for a passing game Tyler Boyd I love Tyler Boyd too I actually have a ton of Tyler Boyd this year on fantasy teams mostly because I wasn't expecting T Higgins to be a factor but that's actually why I'm not putting Tyler Boyd number one because Joe Burrow is flinging it every single game he's not playing at the level of Justin Herbert is but any given game, it should be Tyler Boyd most of the time, but we've already seen a game where it was Higgins and A.J. Green at the top, seen a game where you know it was only Higgins and then Boyd and A.J. Green were okay. So it's just more the fact that Allen Robinson is definitively the number one, and Allen Robinson also has an amazing schedule to finish the season. 
Yeah, I think uh, I'm with you guys on Allen Robinson. That's the exact order I would go into, Robinson, Boyd, and Thielen. And do love that Cincinnati passing game. It's something we talked about on an episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast earlier this week, feeling like a passing game that we could be pretty comfortable investing in, that the volume is going to be there, and Joe Burrow really not afraid to make any throw in the book. So like those guys going forward, but hard to argue with Allen Robinson as the number one guy out of those three. We've got another Wide receiver ranking here. These guys also right with one another in the full season half PPR rankings. We've got Will Fuller. He is the wide receiver 16 in the rankings. Cooper Cup, the wide receiver 19. And Terry McLaurin, the wide receiver 20. You've also got Cup a game ahead of those two guys. The Rams have not had their bye. They actually have it this week. Uh, McLaurin in Washington, Fuller in Houston, they have had their bye. So you would expect McLaurin to bump ahead of Cooper Cup in those full season rankings after this week when he evens up with Cooper Cup in terms of games played. But that preamble just takes us to the question. Jake, Cup, McLaurin, Fuller, who you got rest of the season? Yeah, I don't like the fact that you're making me go against my boy Terry McLaurin over here. But it oh my really, God, like, and this- for this guy too? No, not for the one that you think. No, I'm not going with Will Fuller. <laughs> it, it comes down to a lot of this is because when you're getting this tightly grouped and look, things could change. We could have the same conversation in four weeks and changed what looks like a schedule that we liked. Uh, you know, I brought this up on the show that we did yesterday, Mike, and the fact that, you know, we have the Saints that went from being an attack them, attack them, attack them defense to the one year to the end of the season was like, oh, my God, stay away. Their passing game is ridiculously tough. So, you know, passing defense is ridiculously tough. So I even updated the week nine APA with a look ahead to the playoffs. And I said, hey, like, just take this as a guide, start to plan like we're talking about. But don't don't expect it like this is definitely 100 percent set in stone. So being that as it may, right now, the Texans, you know, I do have a lot of areas where I like their schedule, you know, Jacksonville, Cleveland, but the weeks 13, 14, 15, it's Indianapolis twice in Chicago sandwiched in there. Uh, You get Cincinnati week 16, which is great, but the Washington team isn't that much better for schedule wise. And then it comes down to that quarterback play. And you know, I'm not a fan of Jared Goff, but if you look at their schedule, Seattle, as we know, coming out of the bye, their only scary game after that is Tampa Bay the very next week because then you get San Francisco's depleted, Arizona, New England, Stephon Gilmore's not even playing Stephon Gilmore level this year. And then weeks 15 and 16, the Rams have the best duo to face in weeks 15 and 16 in the Jets and Seahawks. So, yes, Cooper. That bad. Where you at on this one, Moody? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to go with uh, Terry McLaurin here. Uh, you know, he's not a stranger to thriving behind uh, – Inadequate, subpar, insert your adjective, quarterback play. But uh, this is a guy that's finished as a wide receiver two or better in 57% of his games this season, You know, averaging you know, 16 PPR fantasy points per game. Uh, Washington's upcoming schedule, um, like he's got some spots where he can go boom. You know, He's got the Giants this week. Uh, then they've got matchups against the Lions, Bengals, Cowboys, uh, Steelers, you know, 49ers, you know, Seahawks, and, uh, and Panthers. I'm like, he's just the type of receiver for where I mean, he's going to find a way to get it done. And uh, even with some of those matchups, I'm like, if you're in really deep formats, I'm like, Kyle Allen is a is a viable streamer. You know, I do like him this week, uh, actually against the Giants. I think he's, uh, he's someone I mentioned in the uh, under the radar for this week uh, as well. So I'm going to go with McLaurin there. You know, he's a guy I've been high on uh, all offseason and, and into this season. And so I think he can thrive out of this trio of uh, receivers that you mentioned, Beller. 
Yeah, it's a fun discussion with the the schedules that you guys bring up, both the immediate schedules and the playoff schedules and what we've seen from these three guys this season. I think it's a fun discussion. I think you can go in a number of ways with it. And obviously, if you have any of these three guys, you are going to be not even thinking twice as someone who just lives in your starting lineup. But uh, three guys who I think are going to be heavy factors in the fantasy playoff chase the rest of the season. And I think this next receiver is going to be there too. Sorry, Moody, I got to go to Jake on this one because this is someone he's been beating the drum for all season. The top five wide receivers by points per game. In half PPR leagues, number one is Devontae Adams. Number two, DK Metcalf. Number three, Tyler Lockett. Number four is DeAndre Hopkins. And number five is Travis Fulgham, a guy who has delivered for fantasy managers in every single game that he has played this season. Four touchdowns in five games, more than 70 yards in four games, 150-yard game. That was his big breakout against the Steelers back in week five. Again, the number five receiver by half PPR points per game in fantasy leagues this season. Jake, this is a little bit different, not a ranking, but for the rest of the season, is Travis Fulgham a wide receiver one? (laughs) Yes, but no. <laughs> so, yeah, yes, he deserves to be in that conversation. I don't know what more he needs to do. Uh, but no, because the, the Eagles don't need him to be. And that's that's really what it comes down to. Is Now, with Miles Sanders going to be back and healthy, with Jalen Rager back and healthy, with Dallas Goddard back and healthy, they don't need him to be. Now we're starting to look like the Rams of last year. And I, I would say that if we didn't have even one of those three back, you know, especially like Rager, then I would still say, yes, he's a wide receiver one the rest of the season. But you also got to match up with Jerry Alexander in there. You got to match, match up with Patrick Peterson in there. And I'm not taking anything away. You know this from Travis Fulgham, which, by the way, not just past year, since he's got out of college. Come on now. ODU, represent. <laughs> every, all along. Uh, funny enough, if only the Packers didn't cut him, he gave him more than, what, a week on the team before yeah. now they're searching for wide receivers. Like like <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's just really – and actually the matchup with Bradbury. Bradbury has been shutting down almost everybody this year, and that touchdown that he gave up to Mike Evans, I don't even say that he gave that up. I would just say that that's Tom Brady being Tom Brady because there's zero way to defend that pass last week but he's limited everybody he even held Terry McLaurin and checked the seven and I think 70 something yards which sounds like an okay day but I think it was 12 or 13 targets you know so and Bradbury wasn't on him the entire time so you look at it there's going to be tough matchups and that's where I say is if he was still the guy with no rigor yes and I wouldn't care about the tough matchups but my point being is the Eagles won't need him to be they can lean on Miles Sanders they can lean on Rager they can lean on Goddard so it'll be a little bit more of a Cooper Cup Robert Woods where a lot of wide receiver one performances some wide receiver twos and maybe even like a wide receiver three high end just because they don't need him to be all right Moody what say you you think Fulgham can be a wide receiver one the rest of the season or not do you think I think we all think he can will he be a wide receiver one the rest of the season yeah, I, I believe he'll be more of a kind of like a mid-range uh, wide receiver too. Uh, I know Jake and I are, are once again aligned. I know he brought up a, a lot of good points because you've got so many uh, receiving weapons that are coming back to the Eagles. You know, like Jake mentioned, Miles Sanders, Rager, you know, Zach Ertz, who knows when he's going to come back. And so I, I'm like, he's had a, a heck of a run, <laughs> you know, 41 targets over the last four games. Uh, so no, I, I love him as a player and I always like seeing uh, players like Fulgham that uh kind of take, try to take advantage, you know, of the opportunities that's been given to him. But then you have multiple teams that are looking back saying, Hey, we, we have this guy on our practice squad or on our roster for a short amount of time. Like, you know, how, how did we miss out on, on like a player like this? 
And I know a lot of teams are kicking themselves, you know, watching uh, watching a guy like him thrive. But yeah, he's he's definitely a solid wide receiver too, you know, in my opinion. And a guy encouraged to you know to put in your lineup, such if you're in a pinch. So just love the story behind Fulgham. It is a great story, and we're going to, I think, see uh, quite the story for the Philadelphia Eagles over the second half of the season. Uh, this is a team that I thought was pretty garbagey coming into the year, and I think they were bearing that out early in the season. But you look at this NFC East, they're clearly the team to beat now in the division, and they're starting to get healthy. The emergence of Fulgham, they get Rieger back. Uh, they've got uh, a healthy Dallas Goddard back in the fold. All signs point to them getting Miles Sanders back after the bye. So suddenly this becomes a completely different offense in the second half than what we saw in the first. So it'll be interesting to watch there. And as great as the Fulgham story is, I think you guys make some very salient points on why he might come down from the wide receiver one heights that he has put up to this point of the season. All right, guys, three topics left that I want to hit on here. And these are challenges. Basically, think of them like challenge trades, just 1v1, players at the same position, who's going to be better the rest of the season. We've got a quarterback, a wide receiver, and a running back battle. Let's start at the quarterback position. Moody, going to go to you first on this one. Old man Tom Brady or young man Justin Herbert, which one of these guys would you rather have for the rest of the season? It's funny because we keep talking about, like, you know, old man, old man Brady, and uh... I'm going to go with old man Brady here. Uh, you know, I, I like the way that he's uh, that he's been playing. He's getting acclimated to the uh, Buccaneers offense. And then I'm just thinking about the receiving weapons that he has going into the rest of the season. Uh, just with Gronkowski, you know, Godwin coming back, Evans, Antonio Brown. It's like I'm just getting a migraine if I'm a defensive coordinator thinking about how to defend mm-hmm. this. And he's, you know, he, he's not what he was physically, you know, but he's at the top of his game mentally, and he will find a way to exploit whatever defense he, he comes up against. So that's why I'm going to go with Brady here. It's funny. We were talking about the schedule a lot, Mike, and uh, in the APA, looking ahead, weeks 14 through 16, Chargers have the number one schedule. Tampa Bay has the number three. The Bears are sandwiched <laughs> in between there because the Chargers have Atlanta, Las Vegas, Denver to finish things out. Tampa Bay has Minnesota, Atlanta, Detroit to finish things out. Detroit's actually the toughest of all those teams, surprisingly enough, uh, but not toughest in quotes, by the way. Right, right. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> when I'm looking at this, even if, you know what, if the Chargers were middle pack and the Bucks were middle pack, like it doesn't matter. It's, it's the fact that it's Tom Brady versus Justin Herbert. I'm taking Tom Brady and I'm taking Tom Brady even before he got Antonio Brown, and now you're mixing in Antonio Brown. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with him as well. I'll take the veteran for my playoff lives versus I still think there's going to be some NFL correction on Justin Herbert as teams continue to get more film on him and figure out ways to trick him and bait him into poor throws and decisions. Uh, if Justin Herbert keeps this pace the entire season, I'll admit 100% wrong. I just I think he'll have a hiccup here or there, and I just don't want the hiccup to come in Week 15 while I'm in my playoffs. Really uh, early and speculative uh, rest of, or next season ranking. Where do you think Justin Herbert's going to be uh, when we uh-huh. start talking about 2021 QB1. rankings? Territory, like, not, yeah, not QB1. Yeah. Right, QB1. right, right. Oh, he's not better than Patrick <laughs> Mahomes? <laughs> uh, it, unless he just falls apart the last three or four games, if he's even playing, in, like if he's a fringe QB1, just because you're going to have people pushing down other options, you're going to have – the fact of replacements, other guys stepping in. He'll be in the QB1 conversation. I would be surprised if he's potentially even inside the top 10. Yeah, I mean, who are we going to have ahead of him, Moody? Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Mahomes, Josh Allen, um, you know, maybe Watson. still Brady, Watson, Rodgers perhaps, right? But then, I yep, mean, yeah, you start Rogers. to get – yeah. You start to get into a group, right? Burrow, I mean, his fellow rookie, his fellow second-year player. I mean, that's probably where 
You think Justin Wentz. Herbert gets into the conversation, <laughs> Moody? Is that where you think where he gets in? Somewhere in that right Burrow Wentz group of guys? Yeah, yeah, because he can end up uh, you know being viewed as like a kind of a low end uh, QB one, you know, anywhere from that ten to ten to twelve ranking. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not ready to catapult him above those other quarterbacks that you of mentioned. Course. But but when you think about um, what he's shown, you know, this year, and then he'll you know, keep keep our fingers crossed, right, with COVID, uh, hopefully a normal off season mm-hmm. <laughs> to get additional rapport, you know, with his receiving weapons, you know, learn the offense even more and master it, et cetera. I'm like he can he can definitely take that uh, take that jump into the uh, QB one territory. All right. Well, speaking of those weapons, that's where we go for our wide receiver challenge. Moody, you take this one first again. Mike Williams and Marquise Brown, uh, two guys here who have similar skill sets, who are asked to play similar roles in their offenses. Different offenses, however, that's led to more opportunity for Mike Williams and less opportunity for Marquise Brown. Moody, if you can have one of these guys and only one of these guys the rest of the season, who do you want it to be? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Mike Williams here. I mean, he's got a really good rapport with uh, Justin Herbert. You know, Herbert has a, a passer rating of 108, you know, when targeting him. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're definitely targeting. Uh, he's targeting him down the field, you know, w- which I'd like. And you've got, you know, Keenan Allen, you know, wreaking havoc, uh, you know, underneath in the intermediate parts of the field. So I'm like, that offense has come together uh, rather nicely. It just doesn't seem that Marquise Brown and Lamar Jackson are, are on the same page. I know they've had, you know, some missed opportunities <laughs> often. Uh, this season and who knows with his recent you know comments and you know being not okay with things you know he may end up getting targeted heavily you know for this week but you know if I have a choice between these two guys uh you know to Jake's point when you look at uh, the Chargers schedule and then the rapport with Herbert uh I'm going with Williams here yeah I'll slightly go Mike Williams I'm not really in love with either one of them that you know just because I don't know that any given week, Mike Williams doesn't get left out, not because similar to Marquise Brown, there's not a connection or anything like that. It's just it's it's Keenan Allen first, second, and third, and then Mike Williams or Jalen Guyton or you know barely Hunter Henry at this point. So it just comes down to that. So I'll slightly lean that direction, mostly because even Marquise Brown last year, squeaky wheel, as you know Eric alluded to there. Even if he does get back involved, last year the touchdowns were what carried anyway. What do you have, 500-some-odd right. receiving yards? So mm-hmm. we would need Lamar Jackson to really start to get back to some touchdown efficiency, not even last year's level, but just get better at it. And I don't know that necessarily going to change that much going forward. So, yeah, a toss-up, but eh, I don't love either one too, too much. Yeah, 584 yards on 46 catches. Believe it or not, Marquise Brown is actually pretty comfortably ahead of those paces. He played 14 games last season. He's at seven games this year, so exactly half. So what we're talking about, uh, 54 catches and just about 760 yards is the pace he's on uh, right now uh, on a 14-game pace. But yeah, two touchdowns. There's the big difference. So four touchdowns, three fewer than he had last year in the 14 games. But receptions-wise, yards-wise, targets-wise, Marquise Brown pacing comfortably to outdo what he did in that same 14-game span uh, from a year ago. It just hasn't felt like it because he hasn't been getting in the end zone as frequently as he did a season ago. Last one, running back challenge. This one to me feels pretty interesting because if you go back to uh, week seven before Washington's bye, we saw the biggest game we've seen of Antonio Gibson's young career. And it not only was the biggest game in terms of production, in terms of carries, but also had this feeling like an announcement of this is our guy. This is our running back. We are committed to Antonio Gibson for at least the next three or four years as our running back. At the same time, go back to the last time uh, that we saw Arizona and what happened? Kenyon Drake 
gets an injury. Chase Edmonds, the week we've been waiting for, where Chase Edmonds steps into the spotlight. How long is that going to last? We can't exactly be sure. And that's what makes this, to me, an interesting challenge. Jake, take this one first. Antonio Gibson, first Chase Edmonds, rest of season, who you got? Yeah, this is actually pretty easy for me, honestly. It's just Antonio Gibson because I know he's the lead. I don't know that Chase Edmonds is going to be the lead when Kenny Drake comes back, which might be as early as next week. And not saying that Chase Edmonds hasn't looked great, but we've talked about on the other shows, is Chase Edmonds the Lamar Miller of where he looks great and is 12 to 14, 15 touches, but looks exactly the same with 20. It's just less efficient. So I have certain concerns about that. Also, again, I'm going to go down to the schedule. Washington's about the middle of the pack, but Arizona, one of the worst schedules to finish out the season. And if you include week 13, it's actually second worst to only Dallas, which, by the way, heads up Dallas, uh, if you're hoping that Zeke's going to turn things around. <laughs> the last four weeks, I'll just throw that out there since we're talking about it, but for the last four weeks, because I'll include week 13 to get into your playoffs. So Dallas has Baltimore, Cincinnati, San Francisco, Philly. Uh, Cincinnati's run defense is actually half decent, as is the Giants, which Arizona gets in week 14. The Rams, Giants, Eagles, 49ers to finish things out. They both, those teams both get Philly and San Francisco the final two weeks. So it's really poor schedule for Arizona for the run game. Uh, so if Kenyon Drake's just back in the mix, I don't know who is going to be week to week. I don't know what Cliff Kingsbury is going to plan, if he's going to keep Edmonds in the lead or if he's going to mix and ma- mix and match, similar to what we see what's going on with the Chargers, and it could be a hot hand approach. So I'm going to take Gibson, and it's pretty easy for me. All right, Moody, you've got the last word here, Antonio Gibson. I guess let me let me put this out there too, right? Uh, what the, another thing that makes this interesting that I didn't mention before uh, Jake answered, and obviously you guys know this and our listeners know this, much different offensive environments too. No matter what the matchups are, Arizona, it's a very fertile offensive environment. Washington, you're happy that you've got Gibson and McLaurin basically hogging everything, but there could be some stagnant games for that offense where we don't expect that necessarily to be the case for Arizona. So with that in mind as well, Moody, Gibson, versus Edmonds rest of season who is it yeah using your words you know I'm going to go with the the more uh, fertile offensive situation and go with Chase Edmonds I think one thing that's been frustrating with the Cardinals situation especially when it comes to Drake's injury is that Cliff Kingsbury has been very like coy you know comments around well the ankle injury isn't as severe as we Mm -hmm. expected but I'm like you have a guy that's that's getting carted off the field uh, it's something going on, you know, there. And so, uh, and again, it's, it's, it's impossible to predict, but I can see a scenario for where, you know, we have a little bit more of an even workload, you know, between uh, Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds. And if you've got someone that wasn't really as, that explosive to begin with and Drake, give him a high ankle sprain. I don't think he's going to all, all of a sudden, you know, go to Wakanda and get some Wakandan, <laughs> you know, health like Saquon Barkley did. We saw that turned out last year. So I, I just don't think he's going to be the player that he was once he returns, which again opens up the door for Chase Edmonds, who's like waving his hand. Hey, I'm here. I've been productive on limited touches. You know, put me in, coach. And then he can end up taking the lead on this backfield. But uh, the thing with uh, with Washington, uh, you know, I, I love Gibson, but, you know, J.D. McKissick is, is not going away. And I think J.D. McKissick actually has the better matchup on paper than uh, Gibson for this week. And I think he'll end up being more productive. Again, someone else I mentioned in the uh, under-the-radar column this week. So, again, I'm just going to go with the, the more fertile offensive situation and the better player, in my opinion, when compared to Drake and Edmonds. There you go. It's uh, I'm very fascinated to watch that Arizona team also the rest of the season, a team that feels like it could be breaking a little bit of a playoff drought and getting into the uh, postseason here and just an ascending offense with an ascending talent 
in Kyler Murray, and it feels like this back half of this season, no matter what happens to them, assuming they make the playoffs, could be um, you know sort of them announcing themselves as a team that is going to be a force to be reckoned with for the next couple of seasons. A lot of that, of course, tied to the quarterback in Kyler Murray, and never bad to be tied to the quarterback like Kyler Murray, and that's what you get with Chase Edmonds. That's also what you get here on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, not necessarily being tied to Kyler Murray, but being tied to the great analysis from Eric Moody and Jake Seeley. This show will be back with you tomorrow. That will be me and Derek Van Riper talking DFS for Week 9, and then me and one of our Raiders beat writers, Vic Tafer, talking our favorite picks against the spread. The three of us, well, at least Jake and Eric, they'll be back with you next week with Nando back from his uh, slacker vacation, sitting back in the host chair on here next Thursday. Thanks so much for listening. For Jake and Eric, I am Michael Beller. One more time, athletic.com slash fantasy football pod gets you a subscription to The Athletic for just $1 a week until we are back with you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Enjoy all the week nine action this weekend.